Please enter your access code followed by the pound or hash sign. I am Alex Kaufman, and you have dialed in to PodSAM, an off-season project of me, the Wintry Mix podcast guy, and SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. This is the second installment of our six-episode batch derived from the highlights of SAM's Summit Series, which brought together industry leaders, aka the mentors, with a question-asking audience of 10 middle management up-and-comer types from resorts across the U.S. Topics include management skills, problem-solving techniques, finance, capital planning, and risk. Because this was derived from actual conference calls, there's a bit of typical phone interference and such, but it's totally worth it. Episode two mentors you are about to hear from are John Rice, GM of Sierra at Tahoe, and Blaze Carrig, Senior Advisor to Vail Resorts Mountain Division. Rice has held management positions at several California resorts, was instrumental in welcoming snowboarders to the Mountain Resort guest list, and is a 2001 Sammy Award winner. Carrig launched his career working up the ranks at Sugarbush over two decades, before stints leading the Canyons and Heavenly, culminating in overseeing Vail Resort's Mountain Division through 2015. Blaze is also a past chair of the National Ski Areas Association. Throughout these episodes, you will also occasionally hear from Paul Tallner, founder of High Peaks Group, an organizational change consultancy. Paul serves as moderator on the series of calls, so let's get started. Paul? And I thought we'd um, maybe start off with uh, uh, each of each of you, uh, John and Blaze, telling a, a story. So Blaze, if you want to go first, uh, you know, riff for a few minutes, and then I'll ask John to chime in, and then we can do a little back and forth. So Blaze, can you share a story of a pivotal moment in your career where you solved a problem in a in an unexpected way? When I was uh, when I was at Sugarbush and I had just taken over uh, Mountain Operations, we had just put in a snowmaking system, and part of it we put in above ground, and we uh, suffered a pretty dramatic freeze cycle that froze the line to one of our more notable trails, one, one trail that all of our guests really like called Stein's Run. And the group, uh, you know, we were kind of stuck. The group, the snowmaking team seemed to be stuck on, uh, you know, how to solve it. It was thawing the pipe out, and they uh, had, you know, limited resources in terms of their own team. And I think, you know, the, the resolution to this, I don't know how creative it was, but it was one of just kind of, you know, not necessarily thinking outside of the box, but making the box bigger. So instead of just having a team of 10 or 12 snowmakers uh, on this line trying to to march up and down the line, which was thousands of feet long and incredibly steep, and uh, we put a call out into anybody who wanted to join helping this process and ended up having literally 100 people with propane torches um, kind of making, you know, many hands make uh, a large problem small. You know, I mean, that, that problem itself wasn't very complex, and it, it was actually quite of a simple solution. But it kind of it was meaningful to me in the long run because it, it made me aware of the power of just, you know, collaborating 
uh, more and bringing more people to bear. And when I got into more complex problems, that, you know, that particular solution still kind of resonates with me today, thinking about these hundreds of people up, up the line, uh, flying this pipe out. And we, and we thought it out in short order and got it open before the, the Christmas holiday, which was a pretty big deal for the business. The, the other part of that problem that was like kind of an epiphany for me was, you know, I, I just felt I had to be there. I, I didn't have to be there on the line. Uh, we had enough people to do it, but it was a it was a tough, a physical job because of the steepness of the hill, and it was still uh, pretty brutally cold out during the time that we were doing it. And I spent every day out there with the group. It took us two days to do it, and uh, I found that I didn't necessarily my torch did not help to solve the problem any faster, but my presence. Uh, was commented upon by a lot of people there and I think uh, positively affected the morale. So it was just, you know, a, a recognition to me that the more difficult uh, things are, um, the more present I needed to be as a leader. And that's kind of carried forward me to this day. Thank you for, for sharing that. Were those, were those resources all, you know, employees of the, of the organization of Sugarbush at the time or were they, did you do an open call to others in the community or how did that all shake out they, they they were all employees of Sugarbush at the time but they were uh, they were from all kinds of departments they were not they were mountain operations people ski patrol but they're also people came out of the office um and people we also had a hospitality a division and so the people who were waiters and waitresses that worked in the evening also and because they were skiers and and i have to say there was also a lot of passion about this trail because it was one of the with the most popular trails at the resort, I think that also probably played into it. But people, just just the idea of the effort seemed to resonate with people all across the company. So we had, um, we didn't have anybody from outside the company, and I'm not sure because of a workers' comp perspective we could have, but we did have this really broad group from within the company. And I think there was also this kind of uh, sidebar um, effect of, of creating a lot more interdependency uh, within the company. So it was, it was pretty cool. You know, the defining moment of the culture. Yeah, it was. And, and for me, it, it kind of played into one of my, my theories in terms of dealing with more complex problems, which is, you know, not necessarily thinking outside of the box, but expanding the box. Uh, just a quick example. We were stuck on reducing snowmobile traffic. It was a huge concern of mine, and it was a problem. And by bringing uh, some people into the group, to the snowmobile group, who were just kind of, again, working on the idea of reduction and bringing in people from, uh, we brought some people in from IT uh, who were just good thinkers, and they started to challenge, well, why don't you just flip this thing upside down and have no snowmobiles and start from there and say you have no snowmobiles and, okay, now we're going to add snowmobiles based on need, and you have to justify why you actually need a snowmobile to do your job and that there are no other alternatives. And by that, flipping, by, by turning the box upside down, we actually have this dramatic reduction in snowmobiles by basically starting with eliminating. And nobody involved in that group, including myself, had thought to approach it that way, but these people from IT who don't even drive snowmobiles uh, came in from that way. So this idea of expanding the box with uh, internal resources 
kind of came out of that experience I had with the, the snowmaking line. And then just to carry it briefly forward, I also, uh, external resources, there are so many people in our industry, there's not many problems that we have that somebody in this industry has not had before. And I think that, you know, you have to sometimes crawl over your pride and reach out. But uh, the answers are out there if you're willing to put yourself out there to go get them. We'll turn it over to John. Uh, John, why don't you, can you share a story as well about a, a moment where you solved a problem in, a, in an unexpected or creative way? Sure. Well, I was take it back to 96, 97. I'd been in my role for three years as general manager and still very much in a learning capacity. I was under the tutelage of Bill Jensen at that time and had pretty much a daily conversation with him, uh, sort of going through what things were working and not. We had the best season of all teed up. We had about eight feet of snow on the ground. Seven feet of it had fallen in about a, a 48-hour period. Going into the holiday, we were just teed up for a great year. We had just sold to Booth Creek, so we had new owners that were very interested in how things were going to go. Um, the seven feet of snow at about 2,000 feet of elevation turned into seven inches of rain. And there was a burn area on our major highway that leads to Sierra, and Sierra's the closest to market to, to the Bay Area in Sacramento. So a two-lane road, imagine a two-lane road coming right by our front door, and our location has always been sort of one of the you know, one of the key branded pieces for us to get our business, not only our guests, but our employees. So that seven inches of rain hit that fire burn area and caused a significant mudslide that closed Highway 50. It was all over the news. There were helicopters buzzing over it. And we went from, in a matter of seconds, the best location to the worst location right at the holiday period. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, literally buried in tons of trees, mud, rocks, major. They were talking about there's no way we'll get it open this winter. Uh, forget about it. Reroute the traffic to Tahoe, which instead of being a two-hour drive to market, now we became a five-hour drive to market. So you can imagine how challenging that was in terms of the magnitude of that problem. Um, the resort wound up being uh, cut off from the market for uh, quite a period of time. It, it through January 17th, so we missed the holiday. Another major slide occurred on January 24th, and uh, more material and more places came down. Just the ground was so wet. So we lost a third of our season. The destination, South Lake Tahoe, was losing about a million dollars a day. Uh, I was fortunate in uh, my career prior. I'd worked for some pretty amazing people in the industry. I worked for Started with Cushing and worked with Dick Kuhn and Big Bear, Jerry Bland down there, Press Smith, Bill Jensen, just to name a few, Chris Ryman, Steve Rice. But at the time I worked for Jerry Bland, I remember we had a solution to problems, and we would get together with our senior team. We'd invite anyone who wanted to come all the way to the front line into uh, one of the sprung structures that we had down there, and we called it the tent. Uh, and the meeting was basically how do we solve problems, what are the ideas that everyone has, across the company, and um, someone from ski school came up with this idea that the in ski school we, we give hot dogs to the kids in the little kids' lunch program, and they only eat half of it, so we wind up throwing away half the hot dog. And so he said, my idea is we're only going to serve a half a hot dog, and if the kids uh, eat that, we'll give them another half if they want it, but we're not going to be throwing away all these halves. And so the, the name of the meeting became called the half a hot dog meeting, and that, that just kind of stuck. 
but the beauty of that meeting was it didn't matter what your label was or title or, or your rank and file. Everyone's idea was valued, and what we found truly is the value of the collective intellect was much stronger than any individual with a title or a, you know, a, a higher position in the company. So pretty much put that idea into play, called everyone that was here that could get to work to uh, an everyday meeting where we would just come in and we would say, how are we going to solve this problem? What are we going to do? We've got, we went from best location to worst location. A lot of our employees can't get to work. We're cut off, literally cut off from the market. And the ideas that came in were unbelievable. We just started kind of with flip charts of just what are the, what's the low hanging fruit? What can we do immediately to ramp down our our services, but also make sure that every guest that shows up gets the best possible experience they can. We were fortunate in that we had built a little bit of relationship building in in South Lake Tahoe destination market, all the stakeholders, the hotels, casinos, resorts, restaurants, ski shops, the entire business community was suffering as a result of this, including uh, our main competitor, Heavenly, was suffering as well because this was the main thoroughfare into the resort. And so we worked together with, in town, we started the same kind of meetings in town where everyone came together and it was just nothing but ideas. And we spent a couple of days putting ideas on the board. We put a group together of the business community, myself representing the resort, uh, Stan Hansen from Heavenly, City Council, uh, Visitors Authority, and we basically got in a car and we went around the long way, the five-hour drive to Sacramento. We went to every legislator we knew and called every card we had to put pressure on Caltrans to uh, not leave the road closed for the winter, but rather go into active uh, work to try to restore the the highway. We also uh, worked with the local media and in San Francisco and the Bay Area, the relationships we had through the marketing departments. We had uh, the weather forecasters working with us and explaining what you would get if you may, if you went the extra route. We um, just the ideas were unbelievable, and for me to be able to have uh, kind of like Blaze was saying, both internally we had some stuff, but externally as they started to reach out and leverage those partnerships. Uh, everyone had networks that we could tap into, and we saw this as a problem as a community we had to solve, and we were able to get the road open. Finally, um, in February, and we actually finished out the season on the on the on the end of all of this. We actually squeaked out a profit, about a four hundred thousand dollar profit, which no one could possibly believe, given the cards we were dealt. Um, the learning was unbelievable. First of all, we cemented relationships with partners that we otherwise maybe wouldn't have. Um, we built strong relationships with our folks down in Sacramento and state government, uh, built relationships with the Caltrans folks. We fed them as they were doing the work. Um, we worked with you know every agency, law enforcement and that, to really show that, that the human side of what this was causing us, uh, the fact that we had good snow, the people that did come here, we did testimonials with them to, to just say, hey, I had the whole resort to myself and powder runs all day. And so but we tried to turn the, the negativity into positivity. Um, at the end of the day, the lessons learned were those that we still put into play today. When we see a problem, we come at it with every resource we have in the company. It doesn't matter who you are, your voice counts. We sort of categorize all the ideas into those that cost nothing, those that, that are, might cost $100 or, or some time, and then those that might be bigger fixes. And then we talk about 
what partners we have in the community that we can leverage with to solve the problem. So uh, it, it was a good, it was a great opportunity at an early age for me in my career uh, as a general manager to be able to realize that the power in solving problems really lies in the collective intellect and the opportunity to, uh, to get everyone's voice heard. The PodSAM conversation will continue in just a moment. PodSAM is brought to you by SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry since 1962. If you're making your career in the mountain resort industry, SAM Magazine keeps you connected and in the know. Whether it's the news, trends, or practical how-tos, SAM keeps you driving your career and the industry forward. Learn more and subscribe at saminfo.com. How do you frame problems for people so they know to offer solution? Are these in team meetings or are they you know, uh, broad organization-wide uh, communications or periodic huddles? And how, does that, how do people know what problems that you're seeking solutions for? Well, um, have the culture of it's okay to bring a problem forward. I do have a little note up on my chalkboard here that says, what's your solution? And when people come in and, you know, they've got their list of 29 things wrong, I, I point to the card. What I really want to hear is what's your solution? Uh, give, sure, I'll solve the problem for you all day long, but that's the best solutions are going to come from people who have a stake in it, and they already have the answers. So it pre- makes them get prepared before they come in and go, oh, my God, that this just happened. It's like, well, what, what's, what do you think we should do here? Well, I've already talked to so-and-so, and we got this in play, and we're already doing that, and it becomes more of a sharing of the things they're doing to try to, to solve it. So culturally, I think it has to be okay to come in with the problem, but also come in with a solution or two. And then the second piece of that is in a public setting that if you open your mouth and you you, know, you bring a problem to light, that that's okay, that you're not looked down on, that it's like we can investigate that. We're, we're not going to spend, if I've got 40 people in the room, we're not going to spend a whole hour on the one problem. We might, we might say, let's pull a group of people together and, and grab five or six folks that I know can really get to the root of it and get it solved and have them pull off and say, when this meeting's over, you five stay here and let's, let's tackle that. Let's knock that out or let's come up with a, with a strategy. And so, and then it's circling back after what you've learned. It's that after action review, the, you know, the SEAL team six does where they, after they deploy, they come back and, and huddle and say, what did we learn? What worked? What didn't? And really having that sort of, you know, after the, after all the strategy was laid out, what was the result? What did we learn so we can use that for the next time? And how can we get to where we can prevent future problems of a similar type? So, but it's really culturally, it has to be okay to bring it forward. Yeah, I think similar for us. I mean, we have a couple of, uh, of pieces in place that, you know, kind of ongoing. So it's a little bit beyond just the ad hoc problems that might come up. One of them is we have established the best practice groups for virtually every operating uh, department in the company, so lift operations, lift maintenance, ski patrol, you know, any groups, ticket sellers, everybody in the company has a best practice group where leaders of, uh, because we're multi-resort at this point, you know, so we have 14 resorts, so 14 ski patrol directors will be getting together on a monthly basis, 14 lift maintenance directors will be getting together. The, the best practice idea is if, you know, people walk in with, hey, we're having this problem at, uh, you know, at our resort, whether it's, uh, you know, an operational problem, uh, a personnel problem, a logistics problem, sometimes they're 
policy, safety policy, workers' comp kind of problems. We, the group talks it out and tries to see, well, is there a practice within that group that, you know, has already figured this out? So it's kind of that internal group. But we also have um, managerial sponsors of that group, and we bring uh, for those, instead of having the, the same entity, like instead of having a, a mountain operations person be in the ski patrol group helping to guide them, we'll have uh, the head of our restaurant group. We'll, we'll mix the group up um, to, you know, salt it and have some different direction. We also kind of have this call out. One of, one of the pieces we talk about in our company that kind of came out of how we recreated ourselves after the 2008 financial crisis was reimagine. So we basically, you know, push out this value to everybody to keep reimagining and to work collaboratively on that. And then, you know, like, you know, somewhat similar to John, we have some specific problem that comes up as they do. We'll, you know, we, we're maybe a little bit too large to just open it up to everybody to show up, but we will um, reach out to different groups of people that have either an interest in the problem or we think can bring in a, a helpful but different perspective, and we'll let that group go at it. And, and, and like John, I don't, you know, the, the leadership is to really bring the resources in to do it and not necessarily, it's not up to me to solve the problems, but to, uh, you know, bring the right groups together and give them the resources to do it. I think the other thing that drives the culture of that is um, sometimes I create the problem, right? I mean, I, I may have created a, a program and, and that program had some un, unintended consequences that became a problem operationally. And, and, you know, I think you have to go out and admit it, you know, bring the groups together and say, okay, I caused this, I get it, I own it but I need you to help me solve it. And I think just having the candor to do that as opposed to, you know, having the problem sit out there for people to solve, um, you know, without maybe owning up to the source of it, especially when you can own up to the you, I think it sets in place a candor throughout the company, as John talked about, that anybody can bring up a problem, even if they created the problem. And uh, I think we've, you know, we've put that in place that, it's better for, to do that, and then we can attack the problem than to, you know, to feel that you, know, you need to be worried about you know, having done that. Yeah. So Blaze mentioned their snowmobile issue, and, of course, all of us in this industry can improve in that area. We, some of our biggest losses in work comp and in liability have been attributed to snowmobiles, and we were looking for what are the best practices out there, and being an independent resort, not having the benefit of a larger you know, family resorts to go to for sharing. We looked next door and saw what they did, what Blaze and his team had done at Heavenly, and we adopted our own version of the no-mobile policy. And there's, we try to make sure there's no ego involved in this. It's like, yeah, we're stealing your idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to add our, you know, our spice to it and, and uh, make it work for us. And at first there's some distance, but uh, already the culture has shifted that way for this season and everyone's now calling and every time they get on a snowmobile for any reason they have to call dispatch and tell where they're going and why and what number snowmobile they're on and, I mean it's already cut our traffic in half and we have no incidents yet so um, it not it, you can't have any ego involved in this if there's if there's a better idea out there bring it and don't worry about who gets credit for it just share it uh, I mean I'll give credit back to whoever 
stole it from their patrol, but uh, it's a great program. So in our industry, I think Blake pointed that out, we, we solve, we're the best crisis communication and crisis management solvers out there between the weather and the market issues and you know governmental regulations, road closures, equipment failures, all the things that we face in just our daily operations. Hopefully we learn from these things and, and we get smarter as we go. But the best answers really lie in that, uh, in the people, and whether they get those ideas from another business that they've worked at, or, or another ski area, or whether they stole it from the next door. If it's a good idea, man, bring it in here, and, and that's how we're gonna, we're gonna use that resource to help solve our problems. So, once you get to that point where people are open to, uh, you know, borrowing or stealing, which I agree with John, I think it's, it's all, it's, it's all fine. Early in my career, I, I, I was asked to take over lift maintenance. And I didn't really know a lot about lift maintenance, so I did a lot of things to, I went to Rocky Mountain Lift Association and I met a lot of people and I learned about lifts. And uh, when I came back home my first winter, we, we had one particular problem on a lift and it was a, a critical lift. Um, and the team was just struggling to get it resolved. And I said, well, why don't we call this person? You know, another person in another place, another entity. And, uh, you know, initially there was resistance to it because, uh, not because they didn't want help, because I think it was a real genuine pride. I think they, I had to help people get over asking for help is okay. (laughs) And, you know, it's not a knock on you that you didn't solve it, but you'll solve it the next time. And there's probably a lot of different problems that you can solve for other people that they don't know, but... It, it wasn't just, at the beginning for me, easy to get people to uh, help reach out and get some things done quicker than they, you know, than they could have been done if we tried to just struggle through it and learn it for ourselves. You know, uh, other managers in other situations might kind of bury themselves, you know, and, and feel personal responsibility to be the hero and solve it on their own versus reaching out and, and uh, communicating broadly across the organization or... Uh, you know, seeking help from others or even asking for help. So kind of curious to know, like, what, what caused that for you, that, that you were able to, um, you know, feel that you could do that? In particular, was it, you know, an example of, of, of leadership that you saw? Was it a mentorship relationship, people that you've, you know, either emulated or, or felt, uh, felt supported you in some way? Well, this is John. For me, uh, just studying people, studying mentors that uh, I admired, calm under pressure, made good decisions. Uh, as I kind of spent some time with them and watched how they communicated under those situations and the fact that they came to me, I, I, mean, I got to give Jerry Bland a lot of credit. He, uh, as he's currently at Jackson Hole, but at the time that I was a young leader in a company of a, a lot of real type A uh, leaders, uh, good friends of all of ours, but uh, these guys were were, there were a lot of people with opinions, to say the least. And so um, he was able to pull the group together and make the problem all of our problems. So it wasn't just, hey, you, you know, you've got a problem over in your area. It's a problem for the company because the guest is being affected or the employees are being affected. And so we have to solve this together. And it wasn't about who got the credit for it. It was how quick we could get to solutions. I mean, if you, if you define a problem as... The, a difference between a situation and the desired situation. So what the actual situation and what's the desired situation, whether it's internal, external. Um, you know, it's easy to identify problems and what we were taught 
uh, what I learned from other folks, it's very easy to identify problems. Anyone can do it. I've got a whole bunch of people that are real good at identifying problems. Um, we try to get them to, to pull back to 30,000 feet and look at the bigger picture, focus on the root causes, and then kind of narrow down to where you're going to focus your resources and ask them, you know, how are we going to solve this? So um, as people move through their leadership growth, and this was my experience from being an identifier to a problem solver, now that you've got a title and a, and a desk, you, you know, you're supposed to solve problems now. <laughs> uh, but what we found is if you could, what's that next level of evolution is really going from problem solver to problem finder. Now you're searching out problems before they even happen. So you're moving from a reactive to a proactive kind of mode, and you're taking what you've learned, whether it's through formal after-action reviews or just just thinking through what happened, how can we how can we not have this be the problem of the week here? What are we going to do? What systems are we put in place? Or what are we going to change culturally so these, these things don't happen over and over? And then as far as giving credit, giving praise, even if it's my idea, I'm going to use... Uh, I guess what a guided discovery process that a ski instructor might use to help someone take ownership of the problem themselves. And I'm going to support them and I'm going to you know, uh, put them in that place and then give them the credit in front of the crowd for, hey, this person knocked this thing out. And they're going to know that, it, or I'll give it to the team. I'll say, way to go team, we solved it. I'll, g- I'll give you just a, a silly little problem. So we have all of our J1s showed up last couple of days. We had our big Christmas party last night, the ugly sweater party, and we expected 150 people, and there were 225 people there. Our goal is to feed them a real nice prime rib dinner to really show our appreciation, not just to the J1s, but all the existing employees that are not getting the hours they'd like to see because the season's not quite rolling like we'd hoped. We ran out of prime rib at about 172 people. (laughs) So the guys in the back, Thought ahead, saw it coming, saw the line, went and got a whole bunch of brisket out of the freezer, got that going, started making pizzas, and by the time the you know the, the, the food was out, it wasn't this big, oh, bummer. It was, hey, we still got this. All my supervisors were lined up serving it and in a good way. And so the, the after-action thing was always, let's plan ahead, guys, let's always have more, and, and we can always serve it as a special the next day. But making sure that everybody got credit in that group, the servers, the people in the kitchen, the people uh, all the way through, and um, then next time, you know, this won't be a problem again because we learned our lesson. But also, it didn't come off to the employees that they got shortchanged. They were all very happy and saw the effort. So, again, small little problem, but team effort to solve it, team recognized, and then I'll follow up this week when we do our recognition at our meeting of, of who the heroes were behind the scenes so they know that, that they're – the work they did really made a difference. Yeah, I think somewhat similar to John. I, you know, I had some good mentors. Um, um, one gentleman in particular, Bob Berry, um, you know, really showed me uh, the power of egoless um, leadership. Um, and, and when I was young, I probably had maybe, maybe a little bit more ego than I should have. Uh, but watching watching Bob as an example in terms of how he solved problems without having bringing other people into it and allowing everybody else to, uh, you know, not just help solve the problem, but but own the solution and and give them all the credit for the solution. And, you know, you could just see that Bob was about the results and not at all really concerned about who got the credit for the results. And once you kind of get over that hurdle, and I think John talked about that a bit as well, 
it's incredibly freeing. You actually find yourself to be more capable by sharing the credit and actually giving the credit um, to other folks uh, actually gets them more involved. It actually brings you to better people and better solutions along the way. Um, you know, I thought, I think I also realized at a point that I, I wasn't going to get it done, that I, there was a lot of problems that, that it were coming my way that I wasn't able to solve and I needed help. And then and later in my career, um, I had my current uh, boss, actually, even though I'm semi-retired, I still do work for the company. And the last, you know, five or six years of, of uh, as I, when I was president of Vail, working for Rob Katz, you know, he actually put a whole other dimension to it for me and, and at least helped verbalize some of the things you have to go through in problem solving, which was not using the ant, like that you could, there wasn't just one way to solve a problem uh, and just solve the problem itself. You could actually have, you know, two opposing um, thoughts uh, solved together. And the best illustration of that for me was, uh, you know, during the, the major recession in 2008, we, you know, we, we came into it with Rob's leadership in terms of, like, what is the end here? And the end was, how do we survive this current situation? And then how do we survive and have a view of how this can make our company stronger, um, you know, 10, 15 years from today? And we found that by coupling those solutions the, um, and having them serve both the, the thrive and survive mode, um, we actually came up with, with better solutions for the company. That's a great place. Thanks. The PodSAM conversation continues after this quick thank you to supporting sponsor High Peaks Group. The High Peaks Group, an organizational change consultancy, exists to create thriving workplaces and offers executive coaching, leadership development, innovation labs, and organizational culture assessments. Learn more at highpeaksgroup.com. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls that, that you've noticed or mistakes that, uh, folks have made along the way that you kind of wish people wouldn't do? Uh, uh, John, why don't you go ahead and get started? And we'll okay, uh, I'd say there's four things there. I'd, the first one is, um, for young leaders' advice, if you will, uh, don't bring a problem forward without giving some thought to the potential solutions. When you come in and you're going to be the, uh, the, the bearer of the bad news, you don't want to get shot. Come in with, and I've got three or four ideas and what we might be able to do here. So give that some thought before you just run and tell the problem. Uh, sometimes if there's urgency, obviously there's a, you know, there's a broken pipe and the lodge is flooded. Okay, well, uh, but come in with some solutions ahead of time. Think of those. Come, pull back to 30,000 feet. Think of the when you're going in to talk to your boss, whether it's your immediate supervisor or the GM or whoever it might be, you know, have those solutions. Um, don't just drop the problem and run. Second thing I would say is, uh, as a pitfall is where people try to solve it themselves. We've talked enough about this on this call, both place, and I agree that, you know, use the collective intellect, use the resources you have around you. There's some amazing people with ideas that are just waiting to be asked. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, to, for who gets the credit, be humble if you're the one with the idea but recognize others that help make that work and uh, make sure that you, know, you thank your peers and, and even people that report to you if you're a young manager, uh, the ones that brought you those great ideas. I think that the next mistake they make is they don't get the key learning from it. They don't do any kind of after-action thinking or, or discipline to, 
to understand where the learning opportunity was so we can solve it the next time or even prevent it. You can start to now have a different a different uh, goggle lens on as you look at your problem and go, okay, that, that problem happened two years ago and there's a similar situation. We're going to have this thing off. And then, you know, just the, the main thing I can say is that uh, if you get to be from reactive to proactive, if you can kind of shift your mindset that way, you know, that's really where you're going to add value as a manager. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think I have a couple, like, John, a few bullet points on that. One is detach, if you can. I think you've got to kind of go back and forth. I think you've got to be in the problem. You have to be able to pull yourself out of the problem, put things in perspective, and, and then go, you know, then kind of go back in. Um, it just gives you a lot a better perspective and, and some clarity about what the real problem is. Another one is, like, is know your stuff. Sometimes people come into a problem, they bring you the problem or the part of it, and they, you know, they don't have all of the facts, and they're giving you half of the information, and as you start to query into it, you find, um, you know, it's a little bit half-baked, and it's very, you know, I think that's tough. <laughs> um, and so making sure, you know, people take the time to really understand, you know, the, the details and the aspects and the implications of the problem um, that, they're, that they're bringing forward. So, like I said, it's fine for anybody to bring a, a problem forward, but um, make sure that, that you really, you know, kind of know what you're talking about or know what you don't know and say, hey, I do know this and I don't know that and I don't know how we'll know that and just own up to that part as well. I think uh, not emotionalizing uh, during a problem is also key. You do need to try to, to be level-headed and cautious. And I think what that helps you do is not complicate the problem. I actually had a call this morning where um, we had, uh, a, you know, an issue of one of our ticket systems not talking to the other ticket system. And the resort that was dealing with it was, um, was just seeing this problem presenting issues on a, on a huge scale that we were going to have like just this crazy issue at our ticket window with lines and waiting and it was going to be this major disruption during during the holiday and everyone was just hyper-emotional about it and I, I kind of let the call end. I called our IT people to talk through, like, what is the real exposure of this problem and what is the real risk for this problem? Because it, it seemed to me that, that it was being blown out of proportion and people were trying to craft solutions that were just going to be incredibly complex and resource-draining in the holiday. And, and I was able to go back with that person and walk the, the group through and get the emotion taken out of it to just kind of recognize that the, the actual scope of the problem is much less than, you know, what, what you think it is. If you, if you take the time to think about this a little bit less emotionally and what the actual exposure is, is how many people were actually talking about, you know, could actually come to the window on a given day was, was actually quite small and, it, you know, the problem was really not a problem. So, you know, don't emotionalize it, try not to complicate it. And then my last one is one of the biggest, I think, mistakes I've seen people make in trying to solve a problem or an issue is going to the comfortable solution. The comfortable solution is one that might be one that you can do fast or one that's going to make more people uh, feel really good, either in your company or in your community, but that that solution 
really may not be the best solution for the company. And I, you know what I've learned is you have to be uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I've seen people, uh, you know, make decisions that turn around to really haunt them because they've gone to the one that um, that, that made everything uh, easy and made everything relaxed for the time being. And in the end of the day, they, they were really bad for the business. So we are getting close to the end, and I just wanted to encourage our participants, our mentees, to um, chime in with any questions that you have. We've gotten a couple already uh, through the chat on GoToMeeting, if you'd like to, to send a few in. Uh, we still have a couple of minutes. Uh, but a couple of folks, uh, Blaze and John, have asked about um, mentorship. Uh, so how does one find, in your, in your uh, experience, knowing that, of course, you're likely to be, um, you know, you, you've been probably asked numerous times and, and others, uh, your colleagues probably have as well, but how, do, how would you advise young leaders to find and develop a relationship with a mentor? Um, I would just say that there's formal mentoring programs, but I will tell you that anyone can be a mentor, whether it's your boss, it could be your up here, could be someone in their company. I mean, I'm sitting here writing down ideas that Blaze has talked about here, because so he, he becomes a mentor of mine, even though he doesn't know it. Uh, it could be books you've read. It could be uh, people you admire of studying uh, where their success was. The they're all around you. You just need to go uh, search them out and, and look for the, the you know the little gems and the little nuggets that they have to share with you. Two of my mentors. One, Steve Covey, who I got to meet one time after one of his speeches. Um, you know, he's still I still get ideas from reading some of his stuff. John Wooden, another basketball coach who died years ago. But uh, just some amazing little nuggets of how, things that apply that I can use um, and, and share. I, I often will call people and we'll just talk about different things and, and sometimes even problems. And, and those mentors are there for me. They're still available. Prior employees, uh, prior bosses parents, they're everywhere, and they're not, doesn't have to be a formal mentoring relationship where you're calling someone once a week and, and talking through it. I think those things are good as well. We have what we call a big sister, big brother program here at Sierra where new employees are assigned a big brother or a big sister, and that person is there to guide you through all the myriad of things you need to learn about the culture and understand how systems work and that, And, and uh, but outside of that, they know the doors are open, my door is open and they can go dive a little deeper if they need to on things. So young leaders should not shy away from asking. There's a direct relationship between not understanding and not getting what you want and not asking for it. And so we encourage people to, to be open and, and to, to seek you know, uh, uh, answers or, or another way of looking at things right here. Uh, I, I would concur with John on, on one big part of that is that you know, I never had a formal mentor through my career. Um, but I've had, like, many mentors just by engaging with people that I, I respected uh, what they did, whether I worked directly for them or they worked somewhere else in the organization that I was or, or some part of business where I would run into folks. Good and bad mentors, meaning even the bad mentors were good mentors because I've watched people, particularly early in my career, you know, how they did things. You know, what you could see it was not the right way. And it would be like, I, you know, I just learned not to do that, not to treat people like that, not to, you know, approach things in that way. And you just kind of, you know, make your, your own basket of things that you are collecting along the way. 
and and then I think if you don't have a formal ability to have to get in a program, one is that just ongoing observation, but the other is you know going up to someone that you think you you know would be would be a good mentor for you and, and ask that person to do that. I guess also this group um, that's on the phone has been selected by their resort or resort group to be in this program. So my guess is if they went back to their HR department uh, and talked about, well, how do I take this you know, further to a more ongoing, formal way within my company, uh, um, my guess is that, 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 a, that a more formalized mentorship program could be put together uh, for each of them. As we near the conclusion of the call, Sam's research editor and project manager, Sarah Bordeaf, who played an integral role in the logistics of the Summit series, poses a question fielded from the mentees listening in. As a young manager leading a department, it can often feel as though you have to have the solution for all problems and you have to you know, be the person solving those problems. Um, but as we've talked about on this call, there's a a lot of emphasis on the shared problem-solving culture. So for you know either one of you, um, what criteria do you feel really warrants the manager to solve a problem versus reaching out to the community at large for assistance? Uh, okay, well, John, I, I, again, I would just go to, uh, if somebody brings you a problem, you ask them for solutions. What you, you know, you're closer to the problem. What, what do you think, how could we solve this? Whether it's a, it's a problem that the maze management isn't working and guests are complaining. You know, what's, you're out there checking tickets. Let's go out there together. Let's look and talk to people and, and come up with a half a dozen ways we might attack this problem. And then let's evaluate it as we go. Let's deploy our ideas and then let's come up with these solutions. And the beauty of it is the person grows by helping solve the problem. They realize that you're you're not the guy behind the curtain pulling the levers as much as you are the facilitator of the resources. As Blaze pointed out, we, we find ourselves in leadership more as facilitators and, and gathering resources together so people can find their own solutions. If the problem is so big, then, then you take it up line. And it's okay to take the problem up line, and you should. You shouldn't try to hide it from upper management because they're going to find out eventually anyway and engage other people across the resort at a peer level and say, hey, you know, how do you, you seem to do a really good job with uh, with maze management and the rental shop. Do you have any ideas I could use that might work out of the list? So it, it's, it's taking the issue or the problem across to other people and really go, tapping into that wealth of knowledge that's right there, right at your fingertips. I don't know if I, if I answered it the right way, but I mean, I, I think it's, Yes, they do expect you to have answers, but you don't have to have all the solutions. You can be that facilitator to get the answers. Since you have successfully arrived at the conclusion of episode two, then you, my friend, are a perfect candidate for my next request. Please rate and review PodSAM on the podcast platform of your choice, but mostly iTunes. It helps other mountain-minded folks find the show. Also consider grabbing a coworker's phone and subscribing them. Episode 3 will feature Barb Green, president of Blue Mountain Ski Area in Pennsylvania, and Bill Jensen, CEO and partner at Telluride, will return as well for the discussion on finance and revenue management. For more information about Sam's Summit Series, visit saminfo.com or dig into a recent print edition of the magazine. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder, 
Episode 3 will be out in early June. Until then, I'm Alex Kaufman, and thanks for listening to PodSam. All right, cheers. Bye.